Hi, this is Will, and I'm the creator of Blaze Sky, a science fiction action role-playing game that you can go buy on Steam today. And if you do it right now, I believe it's even on sale. This is a continuing episode of the second series about Blaze Sky with Will Iverson. Blaze Sky, a look back. Man, I got a lot of pirated copies in my game. Like, it was really depressing. Really? Like, oh, yeah, no. I mean, I, I had five to ten times the sold copies pirated in Korea. Uh, okay. Data point, do a translation for Korean. I don't know if that was in your list of... No, I did the translation for oh, Korean. Oh, you did. Okay. And then... Yeah. And, and I sold a handful of copies. And if I go off of Google or YouTube or uh, the Unity Analytics, I had five times as many people who paid for the game playing it in Korea. And it was very clearly somebody cracked... Like, I put the game up on Steam and I didn't put any fancy DRM on it. So somebody just grabbed it and I don't know, maybe they installed it on a bunch of internet cafes or whatever, but I would just see all this traffic from the Korean stuff. And it's like, cool. You know, if all the people who'd played the game, like in Korea had bought it, then I would be sitting, I would be singing a very different tune right now. I wonder if there's a way. So yeah, this is one of those, how to make lemon from lemonades. If you could see, I, I used to live nearby, so it would, it would be like, Oh, I'm going to get in a car or, or get in a short flight and I'm going to go investigate this and see if I could turn it into a, a thing that helps my business. Meaning, I don't know exactly what you would do, but at least find out why they love it. <laughs> <laughs> how well, they're using it because you talked about internet cafes and then maybe you could swing a swing a deal <laughs> yeah i mean like part of it is and the reason that i did the loke was because i knew from the from market data that a lot of people get really excited about playing a game that's localized for them because not as many titles get uh, so there's a I mean, there's a zillion english titles but you know the game comes out in german and german steam has a lot of games that are in English, but if you want to play the game in German, because you speak German, yeah. right? But for mine, the voice acting's all in English, but the transla- the entire game's UI and translations are all in, in local languages. And so somebody must have thought it was cool in Korea, and they pirated it and copied it and handed it around, or maybe, like I said, I don't know. I don't know. But the thing is, if it had been a server game, yeah, that's true. Play, if it been, if, 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 right? But we don't know if that would, okay, so this is the tricky thing here, is if it was a server game, it still might not, we don't know the use model of this person <laughs> or persons, right? And yep. if, But if you knew that, then you would know if a server game would capture any income or not. It might just still be this, you know, if they can't yep. actually install a thick client, this may not work for them. But yep. I don't know. Yeah, if I knew somebody in Korea, which I... Probably and, can't think of the right person I would know in a career who could investigate this. Right. This would be this would be an interesting thing to learn because you might. <laughs> you 
So when people these- want things, sometimes you just need a conversation and say, okay, how can we make a win-win out of this? <laughs> right. And so sometimes when you talk to people, it'll be like, or, or let me back up. So a bunch of the big games like Roblox or Minecraft or Fortnite, their model is basically, you know, Roblox and Fortnite. It's like, just download the client, play, have a good time, and then we'll sell you stuff. Mm-hmm. So every time you open the game, it's like, buy this thing, right. you know, with Minecraft. And it's the same thing. Buy a skin, buy a, you know, buy a, a boost, buy a pack with some new assets in it or whatever. And the combination of the, the procedurally generated content, the endless maps, the social aspect of their friends playing. Like my nephew, I'm like, you know, he turns thir- he turned 13 or whatever, and I'm like talking to uh, my brother-in-law about it. And, I'm, and it's like, he's like, what does he want for his birthday? And it's like, he just wants some Xbox money so he can buy Fortnite blocks. And I'm like, well, what's he going to do with that? And he'll be like, he'll buy some skins and show them off to his friends. And that'll be awesome. And he'll have a great time. Yep. And I'm just like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. No, <laughs> like Pokemon gonna... cards. It's like that level is stupid. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't know if you were into that. I never was, but it's the same thing. <laughs> well, this is, and th- well, this is the thing is like, I'm like, okay, like baseball cards, you know, or rare baseball, baseball cards, cards. There we are. they become valuable, like <laughs> rare magic cards, rare Pokemon They become cards. valuable, sort of. I mean, the long story is maybe you could, some are worth exactly. a buck. or they're worth- Exactly. <laughs> it's, like- it's literally buying lottery tickets. It's just lottery tickets that have a fantasy theme or whatever. <laughs> right, that's you know? true. I knew, I knew a guy over at Pokemon, and he basically said that so many of the kids, they'd, they'd watch the TV show and they'd buy the cards, but they would never play the game because the game was too complicated. And so all these like, you know, eight to 11 year olds, they'd go buy them. And that was part of where it was like, oh, it's got foil on it. You know, it's gold file or a hologram or whatever. It's like, you know, tra- it's just trading cards. Yeah. But for me, like part of where it was like, I could, and this is where it's like, I can wrap my head around that because sure, it's a thing and you buy it, whatever. But when it starts getting to be a digital thing, <laughs> right. where it's like... You have a hang-up. Yeah, I'm, I don't know. Don't be so old-fashioned. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I wonder how much of that's influenced by the ability to make it, right? So if I want to make a dancing character in my in a game, I can fire up Unity and I can drop a character and it'll do a goofy dance move. Like, whatever. I can make it. So why would I... I mean, like... But for the kids, they don't make it. For them, it's like magic. There are some profound psychology Will is touching upon here. The creator's dilemma is that when you start a creative project in regards to a business goal, the creator learns how to create in order to achieve the business goal. The problem happens is when the creator has a multifaceted set of skills and then they sit back and they try to discover business goals and business goals to a creator start out misaligned because creators value learning new things and so they look for something that causes them to change themselves or learn a new skill which isn't really the right direction to go when you're thinking about business goals. 
Business goals are where you set the goal first and then you learn what you need to learn to get there. When the business goal is set and the creator already knows how to do it, it seems so simple. It just seems ridiculous that this business goal could be worth any profit. So creators end up in this weird mind space where they have this value system of wanting to learn a new skill or a new skill set and apply it because they get value intrinsically to themselves by learning new skills and new skill sets. But sometimes, or maybe frequently, there are a whole bunch of business goals that can be made using their existing skill set and it seems like very little effort then to the creator. However, the market, which doesn't care about the creator wanting to learn more skills or to better themselves in the creative process, the market just wants things the market wants. And if it's super easy for the creator to do it, creators will often ignore it or filter it out. And this happens because the creator are applying their value system to the market, which and now the market's value system is not the same as the creator's value system. So it's a false way of looking for market opportunities. The market doesn't have the creator value system. The market has the market's value system. And because there's a misalignment, creators fall into this trap of having blind spots to opportunities which they can execute quite easily and smoothly. Ways to combat this are to get a business partner who's not a creator and have them help you discover market opportunities. Another way is to be aware of, if you're the creator, to be aware that you have a cognitive bias towards looking for things that force you to improve your craft or art rather than looking for things that you can turn profit, which may be actually quite easy to do. Now, let's say you've got help with a blind spot and you find a, an area that you can create some content. The complexity here is that the creator is a little bit um, emotionally not attached because it's not in alignment with their values of improving themselves and growing themselves. But it's seen more as a grind to produce the uh, content which makes them successful as a, as a business person. The growth area for the creator isn't to become a better creator. The growth area for the creator is to become a better business person. To do that, they have to start developing themselves and working on skills that they, frankly, aren't that interested in. That doesn't mean they can't become interested in, but you see the big gap is finding a way to enjoy learning and developing an area that's not in alignment with their values. So to become a creator that pays attention to market forces, it requires an adjustment in values. Doing this is actually pretty difficult. You're changing one of your core principles if you are the creator. Ways that people achieve this is through hiring consultants, hiring coaches, basically finding people who aren't them who can help them see their blind spots and work on those blind spots. This is also 
the area where you get into reading uh, self-help books about changing your mindset or seminars to help you get out of the box. Changing your values requires a lot of self-work, a lot of work on yourself. I've included in the show notes some articles that talk about this problem. And, and I, there's a part of me that almost wants to go back in time. Like I would love, there's a part of me that would love to play a video game and not just see everything. Like I see the 3D model, I see the sound effect, I see the particle effect. And I'm like, it's like I can count the budget when I play a video game now. I can just see yeah. the money. Yeah, yeah. And I kind of have the same problem with film. Uh, like yeah. I, I will cut, I will without, and I don't even do film. I'm just a fan, but I've gotten now to where it's like, I'll be like, oh, you know, they cut back to the same location. So they probably shot that on the same day as the previous scene because it was easier that way. So this show where maybe they bounce. Oh, I can tell they, they move the camera. Oh, I can tell that it's a Gantt chart, bro. I'll just tell you this right now the, to film. the So Xenophobes is the film I was involved in. It's a Gantt chart and they, it's all nonlinear shot. And yep. uh, it's about, Let's get yeah. everyone to Colorado, shoot these scenes, and then we're going to go back to Kansas and shoot these scenes, and then we have a studio in Kansas, and yep. yeah, it's yeah, it's and so that, it's hard work. <laughs> I was I went oh, yeah, yeah. was on on set once, and I thought, wow, if you only have one camera because you know it's a twenty thousand dollar camera, it's being rented, but you don't have four of them, you have to redo the scene three or four times for each of the right. camera angles, <laughs> and people have to do the same gestures and. The yep. Coke can, if it if there was a can, you know, you've seen those yep. those outtakes where the Coke can wasn't turned the right way when you pay attention. Yep. Yeah, and like you can't do well. And it's funny, like multi cam versus single cam, and it's like, well, the reason that single cam is what you use for film in part is also because of the lighting. So if you want to redo if you want to redo the shot, you pick it from a different lighting to get the different angle to get everything to look good, everything framed right, right, color balancing, focus pulling, on and on and on and on. So video games are the same, but just different. Like, you know, it's like this big fancy package that I use called Cinemachine in Unity. It's a camera management system. And it does everything from focal lengths and zoom-ins and aspect ratio stuff. And um, camera, you can, there's a thing called a dolly rig that you can drop into the game <laughs> nice. engine. Nice. Where you, so the opening cinematic in Sky is done with, with Cinemachine's camera dolly rig stuff. And so that's how the ship can fly in and the camera pans and moves and because I'm switching targets for the camera and stuff. And it's like, you know, just like when you watch a movie, you don't know. But it's like, oh, yeah, no, there's all the things, you know, lenses, like color. At one point I was using, um, so the color model in Unity, you can set gamma or linear. And then you can also throw in a color correction palette thing, just like a film. So for a while I was using ACES, which is like the cinematic standard for like a standard color profile for, for film. And then I wound up switching off of it because it was too dark. And that's just like, you know, oh, now I use this other one that optimizes the, the luck, the LUT for the game and on and on and on and on. So that's where it's like, oh, man. So many things. Yeah, no, you got that experience. That's why I would say it would be a pity to change game engines if you had to. Because you can, well, but it's always easier to pick up the new thing too. So it's the tool. Is it fun? Is it not? You know, and that's part of where I come back to. Like the grindiest part of doing Blaze Guy, hands down, was like um, 
it was like for playtest where it's like, yeah, you're playing the same game, like hours and hours and hours of it. And that's where the procedural stuff I think would be more fun just to make uh, because then you fire it up and you get to see the crazy thing stuff, that, the, yeah. that the thing made. It and entertains get, the developers longer when they, when they do the rep, the rote work. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like if you're doing a story and I mean, like if you're working on a film and it's a collaborative thing, then you get the joy of things like, oh, you get to see what the actor did to bring it to life or yeah. the cool spaceship design. You know, you may have written, you know, creepy insect ship comes in and then you get to see the arts, the artist interpretation of that or whatever. Right. Right. Writing the script and working with the voice actors was so much fun. I mean, getting to hear the voice actors perform and clearly the the voice actors, I mean, they clearly enjoyed the storyline. Like the woman who did the the main character that with her father. Thanks. It's my father. He's gone missing. His ship disappeared. I need you to help figure out what happened. I can pay. Not a lot but I can pay. I just need you to do some scans for me. So the father wants to go to upload and I'm talking to her cause we're doing a little bit of prep and it's like, you know, I'm like, yeah, this guy, you know, he's really, really smart, but he's socially and emotionally kind of unavailable, but she's the daughter and it's his dad and it's her, it's, it's her dad. And, and she really wants him to come back, but he doesn't, he thinks he's doing the right thing by trying to pursue this other and she's just like, oh, man, I know these people. Like, you're talking about people in my family, right? And it's, like, really cool f- cool having her be so excited about the part and getting to do it. And then we, we record it, and everybody's happy with it and all that. And then it's like, yeah. And, like, when the game fires up, people are like, yeah, I want to go back to Killing Barbarians. Mash, 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 mash. So they're just skipping through the dialogue. They don't care, you know? Um, there was a joke. There was a joke. So you know about Chris Nolan and like filmmaking and, and Maybe like not. big, big set. Okay. So, um, so there's this guy, Chris Nolan, he's a famous film director guy. Right. And he makes these like big epic films like inception and tenet and the batman movies right and they're gorgeous and he makes a big thing out of like i want to shoot on film and it all has to be practical and blah blah blah. so he's like that guy right and so then there's this running joke about like he puts all that in and then someone winds up watching the movie on their iphone on the subway oh right (laughs) (laughs) it's just like you know the one tear streaming down his cheek because it's so far from (laughs) what he envisioned for the experience right Mm -hmm. and so like with my game you know i'm like am i doing this because i want to make a game that's fun to play am i doing it because i want to tell a story (laughs) right those are kind of different things yeah Uh, and final fantasy in a lot of ways i'm like those guys don't want to make video games they want to make movies and the fact that they put this like rpg dross around final fantasy i get i kind of feel like it's not it's like they're almost like yeah whatever that's a distraction (laughs) you know mash a a bunch of times for a fight let's get back to the good stuff which is the cg story yeah sit down sit back and watch this movie yeah It's the 22nd century, and although there's no faster-than-light drive, 
governments and religious organizations fund voyages by giant ships that spend multiple generations in voyage to Earth-like exoplanets. Young Arcady feels blessed to be born aboard the ship when he did because the ship will soon reach its destination and it will happen during his lifetime. But he's heartbroken that instead of being trained as a pilot, he is stuck training to be a farmer because those skills are more important for creating their civilization and completing the abandonment of Earth and the troubles they left behind. But once their ship makes planetfall, the strife left behind a millennia ago resurfaces, starting with the murder of his sister. After the mysterious disappearance of other generation ships, Arcady now, an officer of the Space Force, suspects that someone close to him is killing his people. This murder investigation Space Opera is a novelette by Lancer Kind and it's called Memories Victims. It is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble's Nook. Go check out the show notes because we've got many, many cool trailers, videos of the action behind Blaze Sky, some of which you've heard on this podcast, including the cool warp in and warp out sound that we've been using for transition sound. You don't know what show notes are? Well, look at your podcast player and it will they will show up right there in your user interface. If you're not using a podcast player, go back to the webpage where you downloaded this app and you will see show notes there with all those links that you can easily access. Another goodie you'll get in the show notes is, remember, this is the second series about Blaze Sky. So in the show notes, you will have a link that goes back to the original series that we've done on Sci-Fi Thoughts. And we've done a number of episodes about Sky on Agile Thoughts. For those of you who are into software development and want the background and the inside story of developing an indie video game. Another tip for you is you can find the second series by typing into your favorite search engine the words Sci-Fi Thoughts Sky and you will find the page that has all of these episodes collected together. Next episode, more Will Iverson about Blaze Sky. So the people at, at Lucasfilm who are doing shows, TV shows like The Mandalorian, um, what they're doing is, so The Mandalorian is shot in this crazy room. So it's like a 70-foot wide room, 50 feet high, and it's made out of screens. Yeah. So green it's basically a three-quarter thing, um, but it's not green screens. Oh. They're live screens. Oh, oh, really? They're Active live displays. <laughs> okay. Yep.